Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a leading technology platform that helps clients manage their financial crime risk exposure through a combination of innovation, insight, and intelligence. Our podcasts aim to bring you insight, views, emerging trends, and thought leadership from industry leaders and our own financial crime experts. Find out more about Themis at crime.financial. In this episode, Themis's head of research, Nadia O'Shaughnessy, interviews Katerina Cook, head of financial crime and MLRO for Bruin Dolphin, one of the UK's largest wealth management firms. Katerina tells us all about her experiences as a female leader working in the world of financial crime and shares valuable advice for young people looking to embark on this career path. She also considers the impacts of remote working on women with carer responsibilities and explores what good parental leave policy looks like. This episode is part of a wider series of podcast conversations that Themis is releasing with impressive women working in finance and tech. Welcome to the next instalment in our Women in Financial Crime series of Themis podcasts, through which we're bringing you exclusive interviews with female leaders working on financial crime topics. Today, I have the great pleasure to be interviewing Katerina Cook, who's a real industry expert, having worked in a range of senior management roles in financial crime prevention across banking and wealth management. Katerina is currently Head of Financial Crime and MLRO for Bruin Dolphin, one of the UK's largest wealth management firms. She has been on the board for ACAM's Netherlands chapter and, until recently, was the chair for the ACAM's UK chapter, supporting ACAM's and industry practitioners to stay informed of regulatory change, trends and best practices. Katerina, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really interesting to hear from you on a webinar panel that we did last June about financial crime risks in, in investment management. And it's wonderful to have you back this time on the Themis podcast, tackling the subject from this important new angle. So one of the goals of today's conversation is really to discuss women's experiences in traditionally male-dominated industries like finance and tech. So starting us off, how would you describe your experience as a woman working in finance? So first of all, Nadia, thank you so much for having me uh, on a famous um, event again. Really excited to be here. Um, I would start by saying that I think that depends a lot on where in the industry you work. Um, I think it depends a lot uh, on the culture of the firm that you work for. I think it depends on the country you work in. I think it depends on your role within that firm. I would even say that um, depending on where you sit in the lines of defense of a firm can impact that kind of culture uh, and the male domination uh, quite a lot. And it also depends a lot on your line manager and your head of department who sets the culture within your team. So in terms of my own experience, I would actually say it's been overall very positive. I have mainly worked in second line of defense throughout my career, starting in first line, however, not client facing. Um, I've had some fantastic line managers and I do put a lot of my experience down to that. If you think that men with no children would not be supportive, you should think again. I've had some amazing line managers there, especially the one who took me through my twin pregnancy and, and coming back from that. Um, 
also um, have some experience of the challenges too. Um, I did have to fight quite hard for my two days of working from home uh, a little bit later after that twin pregnancy um, because I really needed that extra time of, of getting to nursery and picking up and, and things like that and managing my workload. That is, however, 10 years ago. And I do think that has changed massively, especially after the pandemic. Um, I've also been in situations where I was almost the only woman in senior management committees. Um, in this case, it was an exco committee. Head of uh, HR was also female, but it, it certainly um, made you realize the differences um, and it can be quite challenging because you notice your differences before you even start the formal meeting and the setting around that and and you're not always included in the pre-discussions um, I was both a woman and perhaps younger than most of my colleagues in that committee and that can be difficult because when you go into the formal meeting and you then encounter challenge or you're dismissed in some way it can, rightly or wrongly, mean that you interpret that as a result of you being a woman or you being younger. And that might not be the case or the intention, but when you already find yourself uh, in that position of, of um, uh, being the only woman or, or perhaps one of a few, um, it, it can still make you feel that that is the, uh, the driver for that um, dismissal. Um, and that's something I think we, we you know, should be aware of when we go into those positions and try not to think about that as, as something negative, but as something positive. Um, but like I said, overall, my experience has probably been quite positive, more support than resistance, I would say. Uh, and some of that may very well be related to the roles I've had, because I've not been in client-facing teams, which tend to be even more male-dominated, not target-driven, which makes it easier to be flexible. Uh, so not as male dominated, perhaps, as some other parts of the industry. That's really interesting. Thanks, Katerina. Um, and it, as you said at the start, it's important to draw out those nuances between firms, between countries, between roles in, within specific firms as well. Um, but when we're talking more broadly about women in finance in, in, in 2022 and in the current realities, what do you think the main impacts of COVID and remote working have been, both in terms of the positives and the negatives? And when you compare them to that situation 10 years ago, when you are um, fighting for the two days of working from home a week? Yeah, let's start with the positives. I do think there's a much better understanding now around flexibility, both in terms of working from home and flexible working hours. And I think that can help both the employee and the employer uh, to get the most out of the working day. Uh, I do think it's removed that label that working from home means you work less or you don't do anything. Uh, and I think it's uh, that change in attitude can really help all parents and all those caring for other family members to structure their lives in a, in a, in a more family centered way. So we should see that as a good thing for work life balance. Um, in terms of downsides, so let's be honest here. How many men have said to you when you talk about homeschooling, oh, I must admit that my wife did most of the homeschooling? I mean, I've heard that so many times now. Mm -hmm. And there are exceptions to this. And there are also good reasons for that. You know, everyone, every family is its own, right? And they have to make those decisions. But I still think there is a general trend here. And there are exceptions to that, absolutely. 
And, and the men that say that are generally very genuinely grateful for the work that their wives have put in. Still, I do think um, that is a, a, the kind of answer that I think I've heard too many times. I think that it, it brought a lot of stress to women. Uh, we tend to take on these kind of responsibilities, right, around the house and the family. I, I certainly did, and I didn't even think about it. Um, so my, my lockdown days looked something like, like this. I would get up early in the morning to get a bit of alone time, maybe go for a run when that was allowed, have breakfast, and then I would log in to, to all these online portals that my boys were using. I've got three boys. I would print out worksheets where that was possible to take them off the screen, make sure they knew their schedule for the day, get them in front of the right lessons. And then I would log into work and get started with my working day, although it felt like I'd already done a good few hours, which I kind of had. Then I would put a block in my calendar every day around 10 o'clock so I could pop out and make sure that they were all okay, they'd done what they should, if I could help them with anything. Um, the, the, the lunch was done by daddy, so daddy prepared lunch. We all had lunch together and I checked again that you know everyone knew what they were doing. And then I would shut the door to my office. Um, mind you, it would also occasionally be opened when they needed help straight away. Um, and I would always have a block in the calendar again around two o'clock to check in with the boys to make sure they had everything under control. And then I would leave them to it and focus on my work until five. When we sat down and uploaded all the tasks and I helped them with anything they couldn't finish or anything that they were struggling with. And then make sure that everything was uploaded for the teachers to review at the end of the day. Then we would eat dinner, go on our family walk, put the boys in bed, and I would be back on my computer and finish my own job. So the flexibility was great, but the day was very long. Um, so I do think that that is something that, you know, a lot of us felt during that time. Uh, and I also think there's a long-term downside here that we should be careful with. And this is my opinion. Uh, a lot of people like homeworking, but I do think there's a danger where people become homeworkers all the time, because at least I love flexible working, but I also enjoy coming in, seeing colleagues. And I do think, especially for young people that are coming out at the start of their careers, not to see people, not to talk to people face to face, it's really quite damaging long term. We're missing out on really important social connections here and building relationships. So I think that's something employers and, and, and um, line managers should really consider in a, in a long term view, allowing flexibility, but also wanting to see your colleagues. Absolutely. And um, not an easy balance to get right. But thank you very much for sharing those personal experiences as well, um, which I'm sure many of our listeners will be able to really connect and identify with um, over the COVID period. So you're based in London at the moment, but I know that you've lived and worked in Sweden and in the Netherlands as well. So when it comes to approaches to women in the workplace, we've talked a bit about differences in time periods, um, in cultures of firms. But have you noticed any particular quirks or differences across these three countries? Yeah, and it's interesting that it's the Netherlands and Sweden that I've lived in previously. I am Swedish, so I grew up in, in Sweden and I, it, because they are quite uh, close on this, actually. Uh, very family friendly countries very focused on um, having good child care in place, having women out working. Um, 
So it may be a slightly unfair comparison here. Uh, if I'd lived in other countries, I would say something very different here, but actually the UK is quite far behind on certain things. Let's be honest. Uh, as good as, as you know, work-life time I've had in, in the UK, um, there are definitely things we could learn from these two countries. Um, and I do think uh, there are some main reasons for that. And this is, again, this is just my opinion, not science-based or anything, but generally men and women share responsibilities more equally in these two countries. Um, I think the male, there are more male role models who take parental leave and they flex their hours and they take the kids to appointments, uh, much more than I, I have seen in my working capacity in uh, in London, and I'm not saying this is, you know, my household, but just generally. And this is more accepted by employers as well, that both parties do that, because I've certainly known uh, over the years that there's been resistance um, when, when the, the children's father wanted to take that time. Uh, I never had resistance. It's sort of assumed that the woman will do those things. Um, there's also cheap childcare in these countries, especially in Sweden. Uh, so it's very family accustomed uh, in the culture. And like I said, the mothers are expected to be working. So there's no, you know, huffing or puffing that, you know, someone hasn't got a, a wife at home taking care of the household. Uh, that's the expectation. And of course, the parental leave uh, is very, very good. Um, uh, and like I said, I'm Swedish and most of my friends in Sweden, they've shared their parental leave between, you know, their partners and themselves. And it's not strange for a man to ask for six months parental leave for each child, for example. And I really purposefully use the term parental leave here and not paternity leave because it's it's parental leave in Sweden. It's not divided. Um, and I actually decided to get some statistics here. So it's quite interesting because this doesn't just, this kind of culture doesn't just come out of nothing. It's not that we're just born, you know, more equal or something like that. But actually the government in Sweden has always been very proactive with this. And parental leave uh, has been around for over 45 years and already from the start both parents had the right to equal shares of that leave. Now early on that was predominantly only taken by women so in, in 1974 mothers took 99.5% of all leave. In 2016 that had come down to 75% so already better and in 2020 it was 70%. And I actually think that's quite a good number because because let's be honest at the start of a you know, a parental leave, you are going to be breastfeeding and those kind of things. And you would expect the mother to actually probably take a bit more than, than the father in that case. However, in Sweden, you also have longer parental leave. Uh, so there's the opportunity for the father to take quite a long time, even after you, for example, you stop breastfeeding because you have a year and a half approximately of parental leave. Um, and this slow but steady progress has been supported by initiatives. So in 1995, each parent was allocated a dedicated month. Uh, so if the father didn't take it, it was lost. And maybe that doesn't have such a huge impact on 18 months. But in 2002, they increased that to two months. And in 2016, to three months. So unless the, the, the father takes three months of parental leave, they will lose that parental leave. So there are things you can do to kind of enforce this kind of behavior. Um, so I do think that's grown a culture um, through that reform and, and push to get women out in the workplace. That's fascinating. And I agree. I've also long been an admirer of the Swedish model. Um, so interesting to hear some of those statistics uh, and case studies. 
So turning maybe to your recent role as chair for the ACAMS UK chapter, and I know you were also on a board member on the on the Netherlands chapter. Could you tell us a bit more about the work you, you did in that capacity? Yeah, I so I held uh, various roles within the UK chapter in the last two of those years was as chair or co-chair and, and uh, indeed we lived in the Netherlands for three years and, and during that time I also joined the board of the Netherlands chapter and it's sort of the nice things with these chapters is that they're industry event uh, organizers so to speak so we arranged industry events covering topical flash crime related matters um, how you do that depends a bit on the country and, and the desire and the, and the audience. Uh, in the UK, we focused on evening events, fairly short, with a drink afterwards for networking. There's no cost involved at all here. So it's really just built on shared interest and willingness to dedicate the time. And it was a really good way. It's a great way of building a network and raise your profile whilst just doing something you, you enjoy. And I do think this is important for young women, uh, but everyone else also. It's not just for young women and it's not just for young uh, professionals. It's it's good all the way through your career. But but I do think these kind of engagements are very valuable uh, for networking because I'm not the kind of person, I don't like um, the concept of networking to further your career. I don't walk into a room of peers thinking, oh, I better talk to this person because that could be really good for me in five years time. All you want to do is just build a network of, of, of good contacts, um, nice people. Uh, it's really good fun to meet new people. And, and it's the opportunities that come with that will come when you least expect it. And, and you don't even know when you'll need it. I'm just going to pause the podcast here to let you know about Themis Search, an end-to-end SaaS screening and investigations platform that will help you to easily search, screen, and monitor your clients, suppliers, and third parties to check if they have any links to financial crime. It also allows you to perform a deep dive investigation and produce an editable enhanced due diligence report. It's updated every six hours with the latest data, including sanctions, adverse media, law enforcement, and PEP status. We draw data from a wealth of sources, but also have our own proprietary Themis conviction data around different financial crime typologies, making Themis Search highly unique. Book a demo at crime.financial. Um, so that's a nice segue actually into the topic of young professionals, um, many of whom we do have amongst our Themis podcast listeners. So I wanted to really ask you whether financial crime prevention is a career path that you'd recommend to young women and, and men, and if so, why? I do. I think it's a great career path. And I'll, I'll say why, because it gives such enormous flexibility in opportunity and what you want to focus on. So it has a broad variety of roles uh, under the financial crime umbrella. And it means that you can, you know, you can work with, um, for example, regulatory and legal interpretation and policy development. That's quite analytical gap analysis, if that's what you like, you know, sitting uh, with something like that all day and really get into the nitty gritty, you got a really good role there. You could work on the control and process development from that, you know, regulatory and legal interpretation. So it's basically turning that regulation and policy into practice. And this is a really interesting part of the work and perhaps even the most important one. And 
probably the one where a lot of the big banks um, failed and got fined was because they all had very nice policies and procedures. And it said that they did all these things like, you know, monitoring their pets. But actually, when you looked at the controls that were implemented, they were not effective. You know, they were not risk based. They hadn't looked at, okay, so what, this is the regs, but actually what kind of risk are we facing? What should we be looking for? It's possibly actually the hardest bit of the job, job as well, right, to, to get that kind of translation right. Um, this is one area where I find um, that I, I really enjoy working in particular uh, when it comes to financial crime. If you're a bit more techy, you might want to focus on the systems, uh, the technology side of things. I mean, you could you could just focus on that monitoring, client screening, AI, get into all the you know tuning of systems, and that's also really fascinating. Also, an area where a lot of the banks got it badly wrong in terms of tuning and understanding, not just to have a system, but how does it actually work, and really understand that. Um, and then, of course, you have the investigation side of things and the suspicious activity reporting, which is also very interesting. And depending on the institution where you work, you could just focus on that. If it's a big bank, you know, in, in a place like where I work, we don't have that many. Um, so it's just part of the team, you know, that do all the other things I've just talked about. Um, you could focus on uh, MI uh, also, again, in, in a bigger organization that would just be a full time job collating all the information to try and uh, be able to report upwards into risk committees that uh, where you have control failings, what are you doing about them and all that kind of thing. So it all flows upwards into board. Um, and also, if you if you enjoy working with projects and change, uh, in, there will be project management roles that will be financial crime specific. Um, and again, work for a big place and do one of these things that you really enjoy, become an SME, a subject matter expert, become the one that really digs into it, or take a job with a smaller organization. Um, and I purposefully did that because I wanted to have that breadth uh, of responsibility uh, within the team. So we do all of these things. Um, so that's really interesting, I think, the way that you can structure it how you want it. And also remember, you can move between type of like I already mentioned large small uh, industry practitioners but you could also move into advisory and work in consultancy you could you could work um, with the um, vendors that build the system solutions there are so many ways of, of finding you know what you would like um, and you don't have to settle for one straight away you can you can you know, try a bit before you decide what it is that you really want to do so I do think there's that enormous room for flexibility and also a career path within financial crime where you can change your mind because whatever you've done is still valuable for the next role. You don't have to become an MLRO. Um, you don't have to take that personal liability. You can still move into very senior roles without doing that. So it's all down to your own appetite. Um, and I just think it's really important to think about what you want and ask for what you want um, and accept that, you know, maybe some roles are not as flexible as others. So if flexibility is very important to you, pick a role that is more flexible. Um, and um, shape it as you go along, really. That's great, Katarina. What a comprehensive overview. Thank you. Um, as you say, I would completely agree. It's a very diverse field that caters to different skill sets, and there's something for everyone, really, within that. Um, so given, given that we have to sort of wrap up slowly, um, as a final 
uh, question. I wanted to ask if there's any any advice that you would like to share with uh, young people starting out their careers in the field of financial crime and listening into this podcast today. Yes, I would. Like I said, I would think about what it is that you really want to achieve, uh, what type of role it is that you want, and perhaps at the start of a career, you know, before you may have a family, a lot of office time might be nice to really get into things. It doesn't mean that you have to settle for that later on. You can make change as you go along. Um, and I also think it's important to look at these various to- types of roles that are available uh, and think about what you enjoy, which which type. Because it's almost like when I read that list, I know exactly which ones I would go for as my favourite ones to work with. Um, it depends on your personality and, and what you enjoy doing and how much you want to get into the detail. Um, and then think about as well early on, in your career if you can combine that with some development because there are some absolutely fantastic courses out there now so much more than when I started certificate diplomas postgraduate degrees I mean there are even full degrees um, in financial crime so it's just finding a job that you think you will enjoy um, and then you'll grow with that um, I mean I, when I took my first job in London I rejected a permanent sales role for a um, it was a magazine. I can't remember which one it was, but it was a good magazine. I wouldn't have minded, you know, trying to sell it. But but I just didn't feel that a sales role was what I needed. But I applied for anything. It was my first job after uni. Uh, and I, I rejected that for a contract role with this bank I'd never heard of, ABN AMRO, to conduct client risk assessments. And I wasn't even really sure what that meant. Uh, but it sounded really like a lot more fun than to make sales calls all day. So... I, I did that and I just I would say go with your gut because I've never looked back after that. I have a couple of key takeaways other than that. Of um, course. Because I thought about this quite a lot. Um I would say to the women in the audience, never apologize for prioritizing family and never accept blame for doing it either. And I would say look after your female peers because supporting each other is very rewarding. Um, And I think that you'll have the reward from that when you least expect it again. It's a bit like networking. You help someone, you will later find that that will help you. Um, For the male listeners, my message would be walk the walk. You know, don't praise your wives for walking the walk. I cannot stand the LinkedIn posts I've seen where men are writing tributes to their wives for carrying the load of you know managing family and work and then say how they try to help but they could never do it as well as they do just take paternity leave leave early to pick up the kids you know stay home with the old children it's just so rewarding to do that you don't want to miss out actually it's not a bad thing it's a good thing to get involved um and then i would also want to say to employers out there that really have a look at your parental leave policy, if it's still called maternity leave policy, change it, it's parental leave, and ensure that that policy supports both parents to take parental leave on equal terms. Those were my messages, Nadia. That's brilliant, Katerina, what a a strong note to end on, and thank you so much for well-considered and valuable takeaways for, for a range of different audience members. Uh, And thanks just in general for the range of insights you've shared with us today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and I look forward to continuing this important conversation um, with you and with our listeners today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please visit our website at www.crime.financial.com.